You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in Southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. We've been in a series here at Thrive for um, this season called Advent, this time of preparation before the birth of Christ and Christmas on this, the songs of Christmas, as I was looking at the Gospel of Luke chapters 1 and 2, what you find out is the gospel, in a sense, could almost be a script for a musical because at least four different individuals break out into just praises to God in these these poetic, prophetic words, sometimes sung like tonight's words. So we've had the words of Mary, the Magnificat, it is called, because she magnifies the Lord. We've had the words of Zechariah called the Benedictus in Latin because he blesses the Lord. And tonight, we're getting the song of the angels called the Gloria because they glorify the Lord. It's Luke chapter 2, verse 14, just a short section of the whole chapter 2 of Luke that you probably know very well from at least a Charlie Brown Christmas. If you don't know it already, the whole story of how Mary and Joseph come to Bethlehem, how they get there, and the Savior is born and placed in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes, and then the shepherds in the hills outside of Bethlehem have the angel announce to them the good news, and then the angels sing, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. It's 17 words in English. It's only 11 words in the Greek. The shortest song, but it's not going to be the shortest sermon you've ever heard. Sorry. Um, What does it matter? You know, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace. (laughs) Right. Peace on earth. We've got that going on, don't we? Well, we're going to talk about it, and I'm going to show you, I think this is actually the entire gospel in a nutshell. The angels are basically praising God as the angels, it says in the book of Job, um, praised God and praised God over the creation of the world. And they keep praising God. You will notice angels appear at various times throughout the scriptures, specifically when things go over the top and when God is doing something great. And tonight is the night of all nights. So we're going to explore Luke chapter 2. Um, by just kind of going right through the song. With glory to God in the highest is our first point, peace on earth, and then among those with whom God is pleased, our third point. And I hope that you get some insights tonight as to what they were singing about and why it's so important. Now, glory to God in the highest. The first word, uh, or what that word glory, doxa in uh, Greek, is where we get words like doxology, if you've ever sung, praise God from whom all blood, we call it the common doxology. It's just a way to praise God, to give him glory. But it's really tied not to an idea of just a beautiful sunset, something glorious, bright and shiny, but it's actually tied into the Hebrew Bible all the way back to the beginning and to the idea that God's glory is shown on earth through how he creates everything. And God shows up in his Shekinah, that is the Hebrew word for glory, his presence from 
walking with Adam and Eve in the garden to showing up in the burning bush, to showing up at Mount Sinai, to showing up at the tabernacle in the temple. Wherever God shows up in front of Isaiah, in front of Ezekiel, his glory is something to not only behold, but to almost pulverize the people who see it. So what is this glory that's going on in Bethlehem of all places, right? What's interesting is they sing, the angels sing, glory to God in the highest, that's really the heavens, and peace on earth. It harkens back to actually Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, where it says, in the beginning, God created what? The highest, the heavens, and the earth, right? The angels sing that God's glory from the beginning has meant to bring heaven and earth together. A little heaven on earth is exactly what God intended. God has always wanted you to experience heaven on earth in your life. To have the joy of his presence and the joy and harmony of others. That's what God intended from the beginning. That's what Eden really was, was kind of a temple, a tabernacle, a dwelling where God could meet with you and he would be there for you, and you would be living in harmony and beauty. Well, we know that didn't last. Where garden and temple fell apart, Adam and Eve and the serpent. But the angels are saying tonight, God is bringing it back together. Now, what's really interesting, too, I was... Um, I learned from a Christian and Jewish rabbi named uh, Chad Foster, who lives in Michigan, and he runs a Christian church up there, that um, the words, the heavens and the earth, that occur in this first chapter of Genesis, the Hebrew is ha-shemayim uh, wa'eth ha'aretz. I know, I could say almost anything, and you wouldn't know what that meant, right? And it's read from right to left, not left to right. So ha-shemayim wa'eth Ha'aretz, heaven and earth, okay, that actually, here's the amazing thing about Hebrew, which I learned also from the class, some of my students probably know this, Jaden, that, um, that names are not just names in the Hebrew Bible, and words are not just words, and places are not just places, but they also have more meaning than you can imagine. And what you also find out is letters are not just letters, they actually, the, the Hebrew language was first of all a pictograph. It was just like hieroglyphics in a sense. And so that uh, the middle Y-eighth, that first letter Vav or Wow, right there, that little line, but it has that little hook at the top, it was a pictograph of a tent peg or a nail. And it's what and actually does is it nails down and connects things together. And the whole point was God wanted to nail down and connect together both parts. And what I found out also from Rabbi Chad Foster is that the Vav also, in rabbinic understanding, represents the son in a family. Isn't that interesting? So now we've got, it means the nail that puts heaven and earth together. It means the sun that connects them together. Why do you think the angels are glorifying God this night? The sun is born 
who's going to connect heaven and earth together again and do it by being nailed to a cross. Pretty fascinating, huh? You see, God's glory is not about him showing off. It's not about him trying to get you to praise him. He doesn't need our praises. He needs nothing. He's God. It's not about him just hanging out somewhere. Or His glory is not even displayed the most in his own word. In the Hebrew Bible, in the New Testament, the glory of God is not displayed the most even in the beauty of the Andromeda galaxy or the Crab Nebula or anything else in all creation. The place that God wants his glory to dwell is right here on earth with you and me when we live in peace. The whole point of God's glory is to bring peace. Peace on earth. (laughs) You know, what does that even mean these days? This is our second point, by the way. (laughs) What does it even mean today? It's interesting that when um, people have tried to figure out what the word peace means, all the way back in the 4th century BC, there was a man named Demosthenes. Um, He was a writer and a historian, and he told the Athenian people, if you experience and want to celebrate peace, you better think, he says, if any man is really pleased with the peace, let him be grateful to those generals whom everyone denounces. In other words, you know why you got peace in Athens is because there are some people that battled out there and won a war. Peace, according to the Greeks and the Romans, is only through coercion and through battling and killing other people off to gain it. But notice how Demosthenes also then qualifies that peace. Peace then we owe to the generals a perilous, insecure, and precarious peace. Wow, that's the kind of peace I want. Um, That's why uh, Gerhard von Rod said, actually, this understanding is that peace, according to the world, is just an interlude in the everlasting state of war. And you might think, oh, wow, this is kind of depressing. Um, So I just was wondering, how much peace is there in the world right now? So I just asked Google, this is what you do right now, you ask and say, how many wars or conflicts are around in the world right now? And there's an organization named the Geneva Academy who's monitoring 110 armed conflicts around the world, even as we speak. 110! You just could think of only two or three. 110. No wonder years ago, um, one of my favorite bands, U2, had a song, and I'm dating myself, I know. For some of you, you go like, who's U2? Both ends, you know? People who are younger go like, you too. Aren't they like geriatrics now? Yes. I know I am, along with them. And others are going like, you too. What, what are you talking about? But they, um, an Irish band wrote a song called Peace on Earth. Heaven on earth, we need it now. I'm sick of all this hanging around. Sick of sorrow, sick of pain, sick of hearing. Again and again, there's going to be peace on earth. That's the kind of peace this world has, if any, right? Just a cessation of hostility temporarily in between all the wars that we have, all the conflicts going on. But the peace that the angels are singing about, 
the peace that the angels are singing about is not just the simply the hostilities have cooled off for a time or forever. It's not just about being okay with each other. The peace that the angels sang about is the Hebrew word shalom, a peace that is actually about your well-being, about your flourishing, about you living in harmony with others, about you being your best, they being their, everybody in unity again. That's the peace that Jesus Christ is bringing to earth. That is the peace that only God can establish. According to Psalm 85, it says this, let me hear what God the Lord will speak. I think we're behind one, yes. Um, For he will speak peace to his people, to his saints, but let them not turn back to folly. In other words, God is the one who speaks true peace. God is the one who brings that peace. And the angels are singing about it. That's why John Piper, a Christian pastor, put it this way. God's purpose is to give you peace by being the most glorious person in your life. He wants to give you the peace by being the one who offers you that right now. You know, five times in the New Testament... God is called the God of peace, the God who brings peace, the God who is peace. Jesus is our peace. He breaks down the barrier of hostility between peoples, according to Ephesians chapter 2. Now, it might be just a coincidence, but I don't think so at all, that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Not only was Bethlehem the city of David where David, King David, was born so that he was a son of David there, but it was Bethlehem just, what, five, six miles away from Jerusalem? That the home where the shepherds were and what the shepherds were doing in the fields is that was a place they raised sheep that would be offered as sacrifices at the temple. And they would raise sheep who were with ble- without any blemish, when the sheep was born, a little lamb was born, they'd wash the lamb in salt water and then wrapped it in a priestly garment like swaddling cloths. Interesting, huh? No wonder when the angel says, this is how you're going to know who the Savior of the world is. He's the one that's wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger because the way Jesus is going to bring peace is the way the lamb was given as a sacrifice. Jesus is not bringing peace the way the military rulers did. Jesus was not bringing peace the way the Roman government or anyone else tried to do it. He brought peace. He still brings peace by serving you and me without any limit. Glenn Staten correctly says, you know, Caesar Augustus, he could be, and the world celebrated him back in that day and age, of bringing in the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, through military might and conquests, and enslaving most of the people that he conquered. But then Glenn Staten writes this, violence surrounded Jesus from his birth to his death, and it was the defenders of Augustus' peace that finally crucified him. In other words, The world's peace actually kills the prince of peace. Irony, huh? You want more than just a cessation of hostilities time and again here and there. You want a peace that only Jesus can bring. 
And that's what we're celebrating tonight. That Jesus has said through his life, through his death, and through his resurrection, I am your Prince of Peace. And our third part of this is the um, phrase, among those with whom God is pleased. Now, you might be used to peace on earth, goodwill toward men, is the way it's been said many times. And that's probably a pretty good translation. But most modern translations now realize it's probably peace on earth among those with whom God is pleased or with whom he is pleased. Now, when I was way back, though, at uh, LSU as a campus pastor, oh, many moons ago, uh, I went to, um, well, I went out in the neighborhoods during Christmas time, and I saw this display, you know, by the way, Lise, uh, the, the whole family went last night to uh, Victoria Park down in Naples. Uh, feel sad for us. It took us an hour to get into the neighborhood. But feel even sadder for the Amazon delivery driver who was stuck going through that neighborhood last night. I mean, can you imagine? Yeah. And they have some of those kind of displays up. And I didn't see this. But in Baton Rouge, I saw this kind of a display that had a nativity scene in plywood cutout with the sign, Peace on Earth to Men of Goodwill. And I thought, what the, what just happened? Is that what the, where did, who, who, do you mean the peace that God is going to bring is only to those who already have goodwill? Like you have to qualify for God's peace in your life? That you better be something first, and then God is going to give it, you know, only, and it's like, uh, no. That's not what the phrase is saying at all. There's really good news in this verse. And it probably, that's why people struggled with this verse, to try to figure out what does it say among those with whom God has shown his favor or has favor on them. And the Greek for that phrase, for to show favor or delight, is eudokias. It is that God has favor or good pleasure. And then you go like, well, whom, with whom does he have? favor or good pleasure. You see, God is pleased to give his glory and his peace to you. God wanted to give his son to this world. God has always intended this, that God has chosen to do this. He is happy to do this for you. He has desired this Ever since he said, let there be light, that his son would come for you and for me. You see, I think Sigbert Becker was right when he wrote, man's salvation is a matter of God's antecedent will. Now, I'll have to take that apart just a little. In which the behavior of man is left out of consideration as a cause of salvation. In other words, God chose you before you even did anything. God chose you before he, you even wanted anything. Before you could even think of anything before anything. That's what Ephesians chapter 1 says. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ to himself. According to the eudokias, again that same Greek word, the pleasure of his good will. So it's God's pleasure that makes all the difference in your life, that he is pleased with you, 
that he favors you. He favors you. Now, um, I'm his favorite, but he favors No. You can actually say that. You are favorite of God. You are his favorite. And he doesn't favor me because there's anything within me. He favors me because that is who our God is. That is how God's peace is. That is how God works. And I think that's why the angels are so ecstatic that the moment finally happened. When God displays his glory in the most humble of places, when God shows that he's going to nail again heaven and earth together through his son. What's fascinating about the story of Jesus' birth is how Luke ends the whole section of Luke chapter 2, where he writes this, And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. So everyone wondered what they had heard. Mary treasured and pondered these things in her heart. And the shepherds praised God for what they had heard. So what's fascinating, this whole text The words about hearing and paying attention and listening come up time and again all the way through. You know how many times, the first word the angel says is, behold, I bring good news, right? Do you know that word behold in the Bible comes up 213 times in the New Testament and 843 times in the Old Testament? It's like, listen, pay attention. Make sure you understand what's going on. That's the whole point. Tell me how many times haven't, hasn't happened that you've heard things, but you really haven't heard it. I know that happens to me all the time. I, I can remember, I can't even remember how many times. There are times I say, what? What's going on to my wife? I didn't, who's coming? What, what's happening? And she goes like, honey, I've been telling you for the last two weeks. How many of you have been in that situation? John, that's never happened to you. Every week, yeah. It's up there with honey. You open the fridge, where is the mayo? And it's right in front of you, right? Yeah, but um, Lucas, it's really, I think, getting to the heart of this is, so you've heard or have you really heard? It's too easy to hear and not hear at the same time. It's too easy to, to think this is just information, Now, everybody wondered at what they had heard, but Mary is the model in this text because she does something that is just so profound and unique. Mary is the model of something more. She pondered and she treasured. And the two Greek words for that, first of all, the word is suntereo, which is to treasure, that is, with sin, and tereo to guard. So he, she takes these things and kind of guards and protects all the things that she's heard about Jesus. From the angel, from the shepherds, she's putting it all together and holding on to it. And then the second word is sumbalo, which is to throw with. That is, like, all the pieces of the puzzle she throws down and tries to fit them together. And honestly, it's a paradox, it's, there's things about this that just don't always make sense. It's like we've got this child born in a manger to the poorest of the poor, to Mary, but the angels sing of his glory. The shepherds come, who are the lowliest 
of the peasant class, and yet God sends also wise men. All of these different paradoxes come together, and she puts them all together to figure out what's all going on. Too many people, sadly, want to just deconstruct everything about Christianity these days, to tear it all apart and tear it all down. Because, well, they think somehow that's the way to figure out what's really going on. Mary is saying, no, it's not taking it all apart. It is examining all the pieces, but it's seeing how they all fit together. I think that's why Martin Luther, some 500 years ago, wrote this, and I think get, getting to it, he says, of what benefit would it be to me if Jesus would have been born a thousand times and would have been sung daily in my ears that Jesus Christ was born, that I was never to hear that Jesus Christ was born for me. If you get nothing else out of this message tonight, if you don't remember about all this Greek or this Hebrew or that or this or the other things or anything else, realize what is going on most of all is that Jesus is born for you. This is not just information. It's not just sentimentality. It's not just ro romance or anything else. It's not just fable by any means. No. Jesus Christ has been born for you. The reality of that has to hit home. Are you going to be like Mary, where you put the puzzle pieces together? Where you guard and treasure these things? Or just like the crowds who just want to go, wow, that was nice. Wow, that's interesting. Cool. I had a good time. It was entertaining. Let the pieces come together tonight. Jesus, born like a lamb, wrapped in swaddling cloths, born to give up his life for yours. Let the pieces come together that God chose you to hear this gospel message before you ever could make a choice or think a thought in your life. That God has favor upon us as a result. Let the pieces come together that the world's peace, <laughs> remember, it is precarious, perilous, fleeting, coercive. But the peace that Jesus can bring, that is an everlasting peace. So we can sing with the angels tonight, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Let's pray. Lord God, tonight, as we celebrate your birth, we are thankful, Lord, for your goodness and grace that you have shown your favor upon us. That, Jesus, you were born, you were born like a little lamb. You were born as the sacrifice already. That everything points to how you put it all together, that you nailed together heaven and earth through your death and resurrection. We thank you for that, Lord. I pray that our celebrations tonight with family and friends and tomorrow and the rest of this Christmas season, Lord, would be just in awe and wonder of what you've done, that we would be those who would treasure to guard with ourselves, with our very lives, this gift that you are, Lord Jesus, that we would be the ones that put the pieces together, let them fall where they are, be amazed at the paradox that the highest of heights
and the glory of glories that you are, and yet you go to the deepest of the depths to save us, to want us, to love us. We thank you, Lord, for this. We pray, Lord, especially for those who might be in the deepest of depths right now, Lord, facing sadness and loneliness and loss at Christmas time. We know it can be a truly a blue Christmas for many, Lord. But you visit us, Lord, in our weakness, in our isolation and loneliness. We ask that you would come and be born within us today as you were born in that manger. And help us, O oh Lord, to reach out to those who may feel alone or cut off from others today. Lord, we pray for this world, a world of conflict, a world in such conflict tonight. Lord, with 110 different armed conflicts around the world, Lord, we need your peace. We need only what you can bring. Help us to be those instruments of peace, to spread that good news like the shepherds did when they heard it from the angels. Help us to be those instruments of peace who are willing to serve and to give as you gave your life to ransom the many. Lord God, all these things we pray to you this night. We pray that you would be with us, that the offerings that we will be uh, giving to you in just a moment, Lord, that you would use them for your kingdom and for your glory, for the spreading of that good news to others. Hear us now, O Lord, as we also pray as you taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.